Hi everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. Matcraft? Oh, Yangus? Hey, Yangus, wake up! Wake up, man! <laughs> what? What? what um, is Star Trek time over? Ooh, Yangus, man, you must have been sleeping for a long time. We've been done with that episode for, like, weeks now. After how silent you went last time, I mean, I was a little afraid you'd actually been eaten by the beast at Tangara, but... Mm. <sighs> well, with all the technical difficulties I was having, you know, I didn't want to interrupt anything. I guess I was to doze off. At this point, that seems more like a hibernation than dozing off. Well, you got me there, that's true. But I have solved my technical issues, so we can get on with the show without any weird sound effects happening in the background. You know, you say that, and I got a kind of coincidence here, because I solved some of my own technical problems, too. Had uh, some help from friends over at RP Gamer, who uh, finally, after a couple years, helped me figure out the great Robo Platy two-hour voice mystery. Ooh, excellent. You know, I will miss the killing machine Platy jokes, though. Nah, don't worry. I'm sure some folks can still make them independently if they want to. Did, did you? <laughs> did I, you just? <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. A little first hint about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, you know, since we're pretty close here to Valentine's Day, and I'm sure we've all been in a situation before where we're just, you know, all alone and had to take matters into our own hands, I figured that... Whoa, 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 you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's keep this PC here, shall we? Uh, I mean, I don't really often do PC gaming. Although that'd probably help out quite a bit with this episode, because in this Valentine's weekday week recording, we're out to pleasure our listeners with erotic... <clears throat> Exotic. Yeah, read that wrong, sorry. <clears throat> That's right, we're going to pleasure our listeners with exotic tales of others who did it all alone. You know, that, that still doesn't sound uh, too good. You know that, right? Oh, I mean, you nixed my other idea. I wanted to say all alone this Valentine's Day. We'll share this incel with you. Whoa. Uh, to quote the gif that appeared in the group chat when you first said that, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. But I need Montoya. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, incel, we all know what it's short for. It's short for indie celebration. Duh. I mean, so now, by this time, I think you listeners have picked up on our not-so-subtle wordplay. But on tonight's episode, we'll be talking about indie games. Yes. These games have been made by one, two, or a small group of people. Some have had successful crowdfunding, others were made in the developer's free time, and some started out as a simple hack for another game before they evolved into their own idea. True. Joining us tonight for this trip, we've got a trio of returning guests to help us talk about all things indie. Please welcome Blue Star, Burian, and Bevan, our other B squad. <clears throat> I think you mean boy. Bevan. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Evan. I was Yay! called Brandon. Today. I was boy. called Brandon, today, so you can call me that, I guess. All right, Brandon. <laughs> Welcome, Brandon Bevan. <laughs> we'll call you BB for short. Okay. BB. <laughs> so proud of you for actually being able to say B Squad this week, Platty. We'll see by the end of the episode if I can uh, get my tongue to keep going with all that. It might be twisted by then. <laughs> 
All Make right. everybody well, change their names on the Discord again. <laughs> <laughs> Too many brewskis. <laughs> Too many. Well, actually, it's a Huckleberry Jam I'm having here by the Cider Boys tonight. So I highly recommend it. But, you know, alcoholic beverages aside and uh, slightly inappropriate jokes from the beginning aside, um, let's go to one of our brewski B people. Brian, let's hear about one of the indie games that you want to talk about tonight. Uh-oh. All right, well, I'll start out with an easy one. This one happens in your dreams, just like most incel, you know, thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well played. This one is called The Dream Machine. And no, it is not the 2001 novel by M. Mitchell Waldrop. Uh, it is a game that was developed by a two-man team under the guy, under the name of um, Cockroach Inc. It is uh, it. It's a game that really you don't see much anymore. It's a point-and-click adventure, because um, these days most people kind of uh, veer more towards visual novels because uh, thinking is hard. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, this guy started as a single chapter back in 2012 over the course of the next five or so years, uh, ending in 2017. They released six parts in full. Um, I believe that it was a Swedish team that did this, too. But uh, it was done as kind of a passion project from these guys because they wanted to do something different from everything else that was being done at the time in 2012. Because I think in the kind of triple A uh, industry, like, you know, multiplayer online, always connected games were kind of starting to become the real thing. And this type of game was really dying out at the time. But um, what's really cool about this game is while it is a point and click adventure game, um, it the visuals for it are very interesting because they are done out of completely out of clay and cardboard. So all of the character models, all of the sets, everything is made out of a combination of clay, cardboard, and just other random real items. So when you play this game, it has a very kind of different feel to it from really anything else um, that you would play. The uh, kind of point of the game is interesting, just, you know, just by the name itself, being called the Dream Machine. Because when you start the game up, you start off on like a little island right like you can't there's not a lot of places to move on the island it's like you know like in the old cartoons how you'd be how they would have like the the one survivor with the single tree with the coconut on it and they're just kind of stuck there it's just kind of like that and you just have to use your point and click logic to figure out how to get yourself off of it but before you can get yourself off of it you wake up uh, you've woken up in your apartment and hanging over your bed is a picture of the island that you were on in your dream. And you think, oh, that's weird. I guess I was looking at it when I fell asleep. And um, you just, uh, you, you wake up, you go into the kitchen, you talk to your wife. You find out that you have just, you know, been moving into a new apartment in a new city as you were trying to start a family. And uh, you do a lot of kind of point and click stuff of setting up your apartment get your key from the landlord, that kind of stuff. But um, after going through a lot of this, um, 
you start to find weird things out about the apartment. You find cameras kind of hidden in ventilation vents, behind pictures, other stuff like that. And your wife decides to take a nap. And she goes to sleep and she doesn't wake back up. And you start to look throughout the building and you find this machine. And in this machine, aptly named the Dream Machine, you find that for some reason, people that live in this apartment, when they go into a deep sleep, they don't wake up for a long time. And uh, the machine is feeding off of their dreams in some capacity. And over the course of the six chapters in total, you kind of figure out what this machine is, what it's doing to people in the apartment, and your process of dealing with uh, kind of the bigger picture of what's going on. It's hard to talk about without spoiling a lot because it is, it's a very well-written story. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it when I played through it a couple of years ago. Like last night I went through and just did the whole first chapter again. Uh, I guess a if you're a movie watcher, um, the, the game does take influences from stuff like Vanilla Sky and Inception. So if you can kind of think along those lines, because um, what you'll do is you'll fall asleep uh, and you'll find yourself in other people's dreams. Like you'll find yourself in your wife's dream. Uh, she's on a, you know, she's on a cruise ship, some stuff's going on and you have to figure out why she is in that dream and what is going on. It, it, do, it does take place in a lot of really cool kind of uh, atmospheres and situations too. There is one of them to where you have to figure out like a series of doors based on some of your previous like knowledge of yourself. So while being vague but not too vague, it's it's a really good play and it's a cheap game. It goes on sale often. I would probably suggest trying it out. Has anybody else played this one? I'm gonna say, say that, that I have. I'm gonna say that probably none of you have even ever heard of this, to be quite frank. <laughs> I only heard of it because a friend suggested it to me because he saw it on a recommended uh, list that came off of Steam, and because he plays all of these weird horror games, and it came up on his list, and he suggested it to me because I like point-and-click adventure games, and I gave it mm -hmm. a I gave it a try, and I ended up really, really enjoying it. Nice. I mean, it's a lot of these kind of things like this. I mean, I know the way I find indies is, you know, kind of randomly being targeted for them on ads on Twitter just because I've liked other independent stuff. Yeah. And I look at it and I mean, there's one I'm following right now and I was posting in their discord the other day and the owner of RP Gamer was like, hey, what are you doing in this discord? And then she remembered, she's like, oh, I'd never even heard of this game till you randomly retreated something. And she's like knee deep in like video game stuff and indies and all that stuff. And she had never even heard of it. So, I mean, right. Yeah. A lot of these indies, you know, it's a lot of this word of mouth. And, hey, have you heard of this game? Or, you know, somebody, you know, is like, hey, guess what I'm playing or this looks cool. And otherwise, they don't have a marketing budget outside of Twitter or hopefully getting a bunch of good reviews. They don't Steam like I or whatever. I went on to Metacritic for this game to see if I could look, just kind of glance at a couple of reviews of it. And while it does have, I think it had like seven or ten um, pu uh, publicated reviews for the game, all of the links for them were dead because they were back from 2012. And I guess the sites that originally hosted them stopped archiving them. So it's kind of, 
hard. Honestly, I had a hard time finding information about this game that wasn't a um, just some random Joe Schmo that had his own website that was just like, hey, here's this game. It's a great game. You should play it. Like, n- none of the major publications really covered it. Mm-hmm. I had that same problem with one of the games I'm going to talk about, and I thought it was relatively, at least people have heard of it. But, I mean, even their their main website is so out of date and links to broken stuff all over the place. Oh, yeah, the website for this Dream Machine game uh, requires Flash, and Flash is dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I will say that this sounds kind of interesting, because I, I grew up playing a few different point-and-click adventure games, like the ones from Humongous Entertainment, so... yeah. And this, now, like, in recent years, I've played, like, the remasters of, um, oh, what did they come from? From LucasArts, like, you know, Day of the Tentacle remastered and some of the other ones. That yeah, they know. This, so, you know, this, yeah th- th- this game is along the lines of that. It, this is a, look, I'm going to sound kind of, kind of pretentious saying this, but the game is like a poem disguised <laughs> as a game. As long as it's not a love letter. <laughs> it's it's a love letter to blank. No, no. Um, there's, there, there are a lot of meaningful idea like details yeah. to the game. Like there were some points to where I, I I legitimately felt moved by what was going on because it kind of had this impact of just some kind of real world situations and dealing with them and with the mixture of dealing with people's dreams and dealing with these situations, it kind of gave kind of an extra layer to a a lot of stuff. Like when you are, when you're dealing with your wife's dream, it has some impact because before, before you even go into the dream, you have a lot of back and forth, forth with, forth with your wife that has dialogue trees that you can take. Well, I say dialogue trees, but they're dialogue options and you can go through all of them and you can learn a lot of lore or you can learn no lore if you really want to. And kind of continue on with the game. But there's been some like contentious feelings about, hey, you know, we want to move to the, this new city. We've got this new apartment. We want to have a kid together. But in her dream, she's having, you know, kind of second thoughts about having a kid and, you know, dealing with stuff like that. So there's like real world implication to the dreams and how the player deals with them. So I, I enjoyed it for for that. Hmm. Alrighty, should we keep going with the B squad? Blue Star, you ready? I guess. <laughs> You're born ready. Oh, totally. <clears throat> Alright, so the first game I'm gonna talk about is Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. I love this uh, game. <laughs> it's so good. It is such a good time. So this is a party game that you can get on just about any platform. Um, so one person sees the screen of the act- actual application where they can see and rotate a bomb with several puzzles that need to be solved in order to defuse it. Everybody else sees the bomb defuse manual. And so the two parties take turns describing what they see on the bomb versus giving instructions for solving the puzzle that was described. So essentially, one team sees the puzzles but doesn't know how to solve them, and the other team knows how to solve the puzzles but can't see the puzzles. Uh, It gets quite interesting. Uh, So I actually own this one for PlayStation VR. So the person with the VR headset sees the bomb while everybody else sees the manual pulled up on the TV. So I played this a lot with my brother and my dad. I think it was around last Christmas that we had got it for the first time and you know, you play, you get a game like that, you play it a lot once you get it and then maybe put it down for a little while and 
laugh about all the stupid things that happened later down the road, like I'm doing right now. Uh, <laughs> so the, the bomb defusal manual is something that you can get for free. It's a PDF on the internet. You can print it out if that fancies, catches your fancy, or you can pull it up on your phone. All sorts of things. Um, I still haven't actually beaten all the levels of these, but as it gets harder and they add new puzzles, there were a couple of times where uh, we were completely caught off guard with a new puzzle that we've never solved before, so it's like, okay, let's figure out where this is in the manual. Uh, there are shapes, and the shapes say to do this, so just deciphering the manual on the fly in order to solve this puzzle that you've never seen before. Well, y you've never seen it. You, you still haven't seen it if you have the manual because you can't actually look at the puzzle. <laughs> um, but my, my, my favorite, in air quotes, is the Morse code puzzle because it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> So, uh, the bomb viewer sees a flashing light and a frequency meter, so essentially you have to input a frequency in order to solve this puzzle and uh, release that lock on the bomb. So the flashing light spells out a word in Morse code, and the bomb defusal manual has a key for which word corresponds to which frequency. It can get- it, it can be pretty easy if- the, the person who is looking at the bomb knows Morse code, and they can just say, oh, hey, this is the word that it's showing out. Uh, otherwise, they, they have to communicate to the other players by vocalizing the lights they see, which is a really weird sentence to say. Uh, and it often sounds kind of like, wait, wait, shit. And uh, it was really funny because my brother was the first one who got this puzzle as the person looking at the bomb. And my dad was yelling at him, like, just 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 say the words. It can't be that hard. Like, I don't I don't understand what the problem is. And then proceeded to do even worse when it was his turn the next time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a f the funny story that I have from this game with my family. Uh, and I don't mean to brag, but I was definitely the most graceful with my dits and does and did not sound like a complete idiot going daw, daw, daw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta say, I've played this one a lot too, and we we usually do this one at Christmas. But it for for me, it really helps because me and my dad both know Morse code, so this this puzzle is never an issue for us. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember the first year that we did it, and I bought it on Steam. I took my laptop over to my parents' house for Christmas uh, day. And my sister, her husband, my mom, my brother, my dad, and me all decided to sit down and play it. I think also like my seven-year-old niece wanted wanted in on it, even though we knew that was going to be a farce. <laughs> but uh, I printed out the manual and everything. I made two copies, handed out two binders to you know everybody else, and we started playing. And me, my dad, and my sister's husband started to like really get into it. My mom and sister were just like, screw this. This is too stressful for us. And they, they basically, before the first game was even done, they had just gotten up and walked away from the table. <laughs> I do really want to try this in PSVR because I do have a PSVR helmet. But um, once, it, once you start getting to the advanced levels to where you have like 12, 12 modules on your bomb 
and like the alarm will be randomly going off and the lights will randomly turn off and you have to turn them back on. It really ups the ante. Oh, damn, we just exploded. Basically. <laughs> Especially when you get somebody who can't aptly describe like what the module is, which is which was my brother for the uh, module that has the symbols on it. And it's just like, oh, it looks it looks like a it looks like a pea with a squiggle through it. And everyone's just like, where's the squiggle? <laughs> what do you mean? Is it on the stem? Is it through the pea? What what like which direction is it go? Is it horizontal? Is it vertical? And he's just like, eh, it's a squiggle through a pea. <laughs> <laughs> just getting absolutely flustered by like not being able. To, All right. Never mind. All right. Uh, there, there's one with uh, wires on it. Uh, uh, what colors are the wires? Uh, 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 there's uh, – uh, 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 and he's, he's getting so worked up about it he can't even say. And then, and then boom because, you know, he hits the wrong one. You know, oddly enough, that reminds me of an old joke from Family Guy where they're like playing charades. The guy's like, jackal, jackal, it's a jackal, 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 like that. And that's all he says. <laughs> We just exploded again. Boom. <laughs> it's a good game. I, I suggest everybody play this game because this, this game will work on your communication skills or you'll end up hating everybody that you play the game with. We we should do that on the Discord server sometime. Back hey, really I've, got it on, I've got it on Steam. I'm down for it. <laughs> Next time I play the brewery and then I'm just going to keep going, uh, uh, uh. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, just the grunts just keep getting worse. <laughs> it's a pee with a squiggle. It's a pee. It's a pee. <laughs> what color are the wires? Uh. Oh, God, they're two colors. There's what two, two colors? Is this a bad time to mention that I'm colorblind? <laughs> oh, that's... Um, that one's a so shade of gray. That one's us. another shade of gray. <laughs> Are there 50 shades of gray? Um, that, that'll be in the next update. Not in this oh, okay. incel dream. Nope, nope, okay. <laughs> so blue star, would that make you gray star? If I'm colorblind? I, I'm not actually colorblind, uh, but sure. <laughs> that's <you're> no love. <laughs> All right, are we ready to move on from this uh, explosive discussion? <laughs> yeah. uh, I was writing down a list of games at the bottom. Ah, okay. We'll come to you uh, next, uh, Mr. Yan. Wait, wait, was it Yan? Yanugs? Yanugs, yes. Yanugs, yes. Yes, my, my no. new name is Yanugs, because that's what Platy put me under for, for part of the notes. <laughs> this is what happens when you type game notes at like 1130 in bed, trying to tilt the uh, the laptop away from my sleeping wife. Like, oh, let me turn down the phone. <laughs> you get Yanugs. Yeah. I was looking over the notes this morning and Platt's like, oh, just, you know, change anything you see that might be messed up or, you know, spot check anything, whatever. So I'm going through it and I find the Yanux thing. I sent a picture. I'm like, we have to keep this in here. <laughs> I just thought that was too stinking funny. <laughs> but, um, okay. Uh, for my first game, I am going to talk about Cuphead. Uh, this is a running gun game that was created by Studio MDHR and it was originally released back in 2017 for the Xbox One and PC. Um, it eventually saw a release on Macintosh hardware in 2018, uh, got a Nintendo Switch release in 2019, and it came to the PS4 last year, I believe in the summer, if I remember right. Uh, this game was born from an idea by uh, Chad and Jared Moldenhar, and apologies if I said that wrong. Uh, the two of them grew up watching Flesher cartoons, 
which was an old animation studio back from like the early 1900s. Uh, two of them, you know, grew up watching load those cartoons on old VHS tapes, and they would also play a lot of multiplayer games, uh, particularly on their Sega Genesis, like Gunstar Heroes which was a run and gun game. Uh, both of those loves that they had helped the two brothers come up with the idea uh, to make their own game, and eventually they started combining the two, and thus we now have Cuphead. Um, this was a game that was originally revealed uh, back at E3 2014, and surprisingly, even though this was started up as more of an indie project, uh, Microsoft actually saw the work they were doing and came along and uh, actually provided a lot of support for the guys. So that's why the, the game ended up being delayed for a few more years. But because of Microsoft's involvement with this indie project, they were able to you know, get some extra funding, expand the game out more. And thankfully, the game has been a huge success for them the past three years. There's going to be a Netflix cartoon Sometime in the near future, there's been official art books, all kinds of fan art. They've actually gone back and updated uh, different parts of the game with some new animations. And there's a new DLC, um, a new set of DLC that's coming out for the game uh, that was originally supposed to come out this year, I believe, but because of, or not this year, excuse me, in 2020, but COVID, you know, kind of pushed things back for him. Uh, anyway, so about the game itself. Uh, the game stars uh, Cuphead and his brother Mugman. Uh, the two of them end up traveling to the far side of the Inkwell Isles to the casino, and it's there that they meet King Dice and his boss, the Devil. Um, the two brothers make a bet on the roulette wheel, and the Devil tells them that, hey, if you win, I will give you all the money here in the casino, but if you lose, then uh, your souls will be mine. Well, Cuphead gets greedy and makes the bet. Mugman realizes it's probably a bad idea, but by that point... Uh, Cuphead's already thrown the dice, ends up on Snake Eyes, and they lose. And the devil's about to take their heads from him, but thankfully, uh, he's able to, he listens to him, and, because they ask, like, you know, if we can get another chance. So he sends the two brothers out to the Inkwell Isles in order to capture the contracts of all the other debtors who owe him, uh, for, you know, betting in the casino. So the game then evolves you going around the three different islands of Inkwell Isle, uh, trying to defeat all of the different bosses, getting through the little run-and-gun stages, and ultimately uh, collecting all of the contracts before getting back to the casino. So the game is a run-and-gun shooter. So you, it's pretty easy. Just, you know, you move around. You have your uh, Y button or your attack button just to hold down, and it'll shoot different kinds of shots. You will be able to uh, duck through platforms. You can parry certain uh, bullet types or different colored uh, objects. Uh, particularly, it's the pink-colored ones you can always parry. And as you keep fighting enemies, you'll eventually gain a super meter that'll slowly fill up, and you'll be able to use different super moves that you can unlock by completing little optional mausoleums. Um, as you play, you will uh, be able to earn special coins, which you will earn inside of the uh, run-and-gun stages, or just by finding them in hidden spots on the overworld, and you'll be able to use them to purchase brand new weapon types or shot types like uh, the spread shot, which will you know, fire short range, but if you fire up right close to an enemy, it'll do a ton of damage. Uh, there's tracking shots, uh, boomerang shots, and uh, charge shot, which is really powerful and nice to have if you don't want to have the screen too hectic with bullets. Uh, you'll be able to equip two of them. You can equip uh, special charms that you can buy, such as more HP, or you can parry attacks easier. And there are, like I said, the three special moves that you'll obtain from being the mausoleums. So it's all about sort of figuring out, you know, what's going to work best for each particular boss, or, you know, what just works personally for you as the player um let me see here uh game this game can be played a uh, multiplayer or single player and uh, thankfully it has some updates you're now able to play single player as either mugman or cuphead originally you can only just play as cuphead in single player um there are some optional difficulty challenges that you get from beating the game 
a few other multiplayer modes you can try, like some little arcade games that you basically compete for like a high score. And um, let's see, what else is there? Oh, and um, if you uh, complete the game, you know, you unlock the expert mode and then your ultimate goal, you know, it's just for fun. You don't actually have to do it, but, you know, try and see if you can get, you know, better and better against the bosses each time and see if you can get that uh, coveted S rank. So this game and the visuals uh, was heavily influenced by Flesher cartoons from the 1930s, like I said, and as well as other cartoons from around that time period. So if you've ever seen like older Disney cartoons or ones from, you know, Flesher Studios, maybe, or like old, like Felix the Cartoon or Felix the Cat cartoons, things like that, it's sort of that bouncy rubber hose sort of era of animation. Uh, the game uses a big band sound by a first time composer, actually, who made a very jazzy soundtrack along with all of the performers when it came out really nice and when it plays in game it has sort of that record vinyl sound like if you were to play it on an actual record player and the visuals have this nice grainy effect to them almost like you were watching a film reel of of like um like if you were sitting in a theater or something and somebody was like playing an old projector and you were watching it on screen uh there are various unlockables you can get by completing in-game challenges uh there are a few Color options you can use, such, such as changing all of the colors to black and white. You can change them to, there's another one, I forget what it's called, but it makes everything more of a red and blue color. And you can unlock some piano versions of different songs. And like I said, there's the expert difficulty. Um, this is one game that it, it can be difficult just because of the nature of a run and gun game. But there's a really nice satisfaction to defeating all the different bosses and learning how to fight them. And this is a game that if you enjoy stuff like Contra, Metal Slug, Gunstar Heroes and other uh, run and gun type shooters like that, whether from, you know, once you grew up with or you don't know, just happen to play arcade ones. This is a game that you'll really enjoy, whether you play it by yourself or with another person. Uh, personally... Like, this is a game that I really kept an eye on when it was revealed at E3 2014 because, like, I love looking at that old animation style because I remember as a kid growing up and seeing some old cartoons like that, both mainly Disney ones on old VHS tapes like my parents had or ones that they recorded um, off of, like, the old Disney Channel, old Toon Disney, stuff like that. So seeing a game that was going to be sort of replicating that era of animation was, you know, really fascinating and it looks really nice in action. Like, even if you don't want to play the game yourself, if you just watch some YouTube clips, it's a very nice-looking game. Everything is very well-detailed, a lot of fun little um, actions within the animation, and I was very happy to see that this game was um, coming out to more systems besides just PC and uh, for the Xbox as the years kind of went on. Uh, and this is one that I a game that I really love because I have bought in like the official art book. I ended up winning a vinyl record of the game off a Facebook contest from Studio MDHR. And this was a game that even though I didn't play it till, uh, until 2019, the year it came out, I actually bought the soundtrack on iTunes because like this is a game that I was that excited for. And finally playing it in 2019, it was an absolute blast. And I absolutely love this game. If you have any interest in old animation or run and gun games, this is an indie game you should definitely check out. Do you guys have any thoughts on Cuphead? I love the uh, the animation for it. I I what was that? I watched a kind of a long video where they talked about how they how they handled the animation of it, and it was gosh, what was the name of that? It's not like Gamescom or something like that, but it was it was a uh, kind of a convention where you know all of designers and everybody gets together and talks about this stuff and just uh, all of the technical stuff that they talked about with this game uh especially the the artist was it was very very interesting because they handled the animation like 
old 40s style American cartoon animations, you know, like old Tom and Jerry, uh, Mary Melodies cartoons, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, and that's what's so fascinating about this game. And you can tell that they definitely put a lot of hard work into getting animations just right for everything. Yeah, I, really en- I really enjoyed the game, too, because um, I kind of... I more or less bought it on on a whim because um, I had some friends that were interested in it, but by the time I uh, by the time I got around to playing it, everybody else had kind of moved on from it. So I didn't have um, you know how you'll have a friend that's just like, hey, you gotta you gotta play this because of this, you gotta play this because of this. Yeah. I just kind of I just kind of picked it up and and did it on my own free will and ended up just loving it. Um, I didn't do, I never really went back to those run and gun stages as much. I was focused more on the boss stages themselves since that was more of the main focus. I feel like that those run and gun stages were kind of added in after the fact from kind of, uh, kind of focus grouped from other people saying, Hey, I wish there was more, not just boss battles. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that because to me at that, those are some of the weakest parts of the game and trying to. Um, one of the challenges is to go back and beat them all uh, via pacifist route, which, you know, don't kill anything just to unlock some of the stuff. That's that was not fun to do. And honestly, that was kind of that to me kind of defeated the point of a run and gun game. Yeah. I mean, they weren't bad, but they weren't memorable either. Yeah. So. No. And like even when listening to the soundtrack, like the only music that I really remember from those run and gun stages is one of the carnival themes and the one from the uh doc but only because i had to replay those stages so many times more so right, yeah than yeah. actually like oh you, well, no no actually i'm gonna take that back for the carnival one because the carnival one that i'm thinking of has the little piano jingle in it that it's apparently just a ragtime sort of style piano but it's the part that goes and it's if you've ever played super mario world um you'll recognize sort of that same little jingle from uh some of the are from one of the level themes where it goes like dun where it's the faster version of the um main theme where it has like a little opening where it goes it's just a regular ragtime sort of thing that they use which is which is interesting to kind of read up about that from the soundtrack but um uh blue star uh eel either one of you guys played this one at all i watched the video of that guy not doing the tutorial very well (laughs) (laughs) of course of course i love that (laughs) Uh, well, I, I haven't played it either, but I did watch my probably at the time like six and seven year old cousins play it, which may or may not have gone about as well as the guy doing the tutorial not very well. Yeah. <laughs> that is one thing that you say in that that I remembered about this game is that it seems like this is a game in particular that really resonated with a lot of younger kids and like younger audiences. So I, I remember seeing a lot where like even though kids might be not not be the best at playing it, that they still really enjoy it because of the visual style, which I, I think is a really big boon to the game. And again, it just shows that the devs and the artists really nailed what they were going for, you know? Yeah. I also, really liked the frogs. They were that, that was my favorite boss battle. Oh, yeah. Also, just with it being two-player, I know that was a big thing for them because they could play it together. Yeah. And you know, brother, brother and sister, they ended up yelling at each other a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is kind of cool looking up some of the history and like reading the facts about this game. Like in that art book I was uh, mentioned before, uh, the brothers do mention like you know what sort of the influences were and like you know them growing up. You know, one of them always had to be player two, so they wanted to make sure that there was a player two option for this game. 
because they thought, you know, it's fun to play it on your own, but at the same time, it's also fun to have, you know, that co-op experience, you know, work with your brother or work with your sister, you work with a friend, you know, to conquer these challenges. So, you know, it, it's cool to see that, you know, the devs sort of thought about this and implanted it, you know, to kind of re- not only replicate what they experienced as a kid or as kids, but to, you know, to kind of show a new generation of kids, you know, what it was like to, you know, play side by side with a close friend or with a uh, sibling. Through the good Playing and the two bad. people isn't very incel. <laughs> this does not fit the theme of the night. No. <laughs> it's supposed to be indies and incels. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um, I guess last thing I will say is that if you ever, like, whether you're a listener or one of you guys, uh, you know, on here tonight and you haven't played it, uh, and you see it on sale. Cuphead is a fun time. There, it, it can be a little challenging, you know, if you're, you know, if you're still, you know, kind of getting used to it. But it, it is, you know, a fun game, and even just visually, it's it's a great game to look at, and it, it feels very nice to play it. So if you ever can find it on a good sale, and you know, you got a hankering to, you know, play a run and gun game, or just want a nice little co-op game to play with somebody, then you know, you can't go wrong with Cuphead. It's a great time. All right. Well. This is one of the few games, actually, looking at our list tonight, that I'd actually heard of. I was like, oh, yeah, Cuphead. I've actually seen that. Uh, not like the Dream Machine or Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. But <laughs> I, I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't heard of uh, Keep Talking, that you have not heard of Keep Talking or Nobody Explodes. That was when that game initially came out, that game was like super huge because it was kind of a, you know, a collaborative, you know, computer game that you could play with people not at a screen. So we're talking about collaborative gaming and on the computer. This does not describe me as a gamer. <laughs> but, but, but Platy, you can get it for literally any system. You could get it on your phone. You could get it on your Switch. You could get it on your PlayStation. On my phone. We're also not talking me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But I know you have a Switch, man. Yeah. Yeah, if you want no, the I, mobile person, not on the Vita though. So it wasn't on the Vita, was it? Yeah, <laughs> because not my two games, my two games were on the Vita, and uh, I'm going to talk about cor- the first one because, because of, of course, course they, they were. were. <laughs> of course they were. <laughs> yeah, fun fact: that's one of the few systems Platy actually owns two of. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do have two switches now because of like that. My kids and my wife took over the first one. Damn pandemic and Animal Crossings cost me my Switch. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, keep blaming the family on your Animal Crossing time, Platty. We all know it's been you playing it. <laughs> <laughs> we all know it's you. Let me tell you to date this episode exactly. Um, I came home today and we sat down as a family and we watched the uh, Nintendo Direct. Um, and my son, I mean, we were excited about a couple different things. But my son went absolutely crazy, and he was, like, going over to the calendar in the middle of dinner, like, mid-bite, running over to the calendar and checking out what day um, the Mario stuff's going to be on Animal Crossings. So he's super excited about that. Yeah, that was a pretty good direct today. That was yep. the part of the direct, though, where they were doing all these games. Like, who are these for? Like, DC Superhero Girls? That was the best reveal today. That was nothing could top I was, that one. I was very excited to be hearing in the middle, everyone's all excited for a Zelda game or a Pokemon game or whatever. And they're going, Hey guys, we know what you want. DC Superhero Girls. <laughs> we heard your cries. DC Superhero Girls. See, that, that that was the cries of all of the people who were alone on Valentine's Day, right? Yes, they needed some superhero <laughs> girls for them. Oh, my God. 
Okay, well, getting away from that discussion, um, I'm sure we'll circle back to it in a bit. But I'm going to talk about... uh, Because, <laughs> I mean, there's there's too much there not to uh, at least bring it up again a couple more times. But a game that was never going to be on any Nintendo Direct. Um, first game I'm going to talk about is Dragon Fantasy. And it was originally called Book One. It started with Book One. And nowadays, if you look up the first Dragon Fantasy, it's called Dragon Fantasy Volumes of Westeria. And, um, ooh. This started um, <laughs> back on, you know, talk about me not liking mobile games. So this came out on iOS back in 2011. Um, it was by the Mutaki, Mutaki Corporation. And I don't know where I saw this, but I had just kind of got, um, I think, my first uh, smartphone right around end of 2010, 2011. I've never had um, an iPhone but I saw this and I was like, oh man, I could play a game on my phone. Wouldn't that be cool? Little did I know. Um, <laughs> Where's Matt Craft when we need him? Where's... Yep. He's asleep. But I... <laughs> but I used to bug them on their Facebook page all the time. Like, hey, you guys doing an Android port? Hey, you doing an Android port? Anytime they posted. You know, they'd get like three comments, and one of those three comments was me being like, hey, are you doing an Android port? And I guess I bugged them enough that uh, they did an Android port. I'm sure I wasn't the only reason. But the day it dropped, I actually got a um, message through Facebook Messenger from them saying, hey, you keep asking for it. If you go on the Google Play Store in about an hour, it'll be there. (laughs) So thanks to whoever sent that, um, I actually... uh, Somebody messaged me a couple of years ago and we were trying to figure out exactly who might have been their uh, marketing community manager back then because um, they had done some work. And I was like, oh, I actually found the message. It was from July 2012, the day it dropped on Android. Um, so I had fun with this for a little bit on mobile, um, realized pretty quickly that I did not like moving left and right and um, doing kind of this control or virtual controller on the screen um, kind of thing and playing it. But. I enjoyed it. It it was this 8-bit kind of adventure, kind of like Dragon Warrior 1. You were just one dude, um, him against the world, and played it for a little bit. Didn't even get past the first chapter or anything. But when it came out for 3DS in 2015, I picked it up, uh, loved every minute, and plowed right through it. Um, And this game was made by the Mutaki Corporation. It's a small little indie studio. Mainly, they do contract work for bigger companies. Um, like design a little UI for EA or um, they were doing some game interfaces for Disney stuff back at the time. Uh, it was a studio started by a guy, uh, Brian Soller, in 2006. Um, had a buddy named Ryan Evans and uh, the creative director there was named Adam Rippon. And it was Adam that really wanted to make this game um adam and brian they'd met in their teens planned out a video game kind of like this with chapters worth of content like uh dragon quest 4 i mean it never went very far because they were like 14 but they were both still interested in this went into video game programming and work did work for companies worked on licensed games and then they were doing working with their own little corporation here of a few people um and adam's dad died of cancer in 2010 And he kind of just realized, you know, like, I miss my dad. I miss making what I want to make. 
here I am doing user interfaces for other companies for their games. Yeah, that pays the bill. Yes, it gives me a job. But I, I want to do something for my personal hero. I want to make a game about my personal hero, my dad. So uh, he started working on the side um, nights, weekends. I didn't want to take away time from what made their company money. So he started working on Dragon Fantasy Book One. It's a story about a 40-year-old knight named Ogden. Um, when he was 16, he was actually the hero from, a, um, a, you know, pretty much name your role-playing game, slayed all the dragons, rescued the princess, saved the world. And then, you know, that was about it. Princess became the queen. He got made captain of the Royal Guard and spent the next 30 years basically doing nothing. Um, so this 40-year-old bald guy Ogden is based on uh, this guy Adam's dad, and he gets uh, forced back into action in book one, called on to save the world again. And the game plays out through three chapters. Um, they each have different characters, and they take Ogden and his friends on travels through environments and whatnot. Um, and the name Dragon Fantasy, you might guess, comes from Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, you know? Whoa. Whoa. They smashed together a couple popular 8-bit games because um, this game first came out for iOS as an 8-bit game um, as it gained ports to, like, pretty much everything, including the Vita. Um, they added, like, a 16-bit mode, and you could play kind of either way. Um, the battles were turn-based, just like you would imagine from these games. They were pretty hilarious encounters. Um, I think they took some stuff from, like, Earthbound here. Um, you'd have guys like a minor offender who was a ghost mine guy with a pickaxe. Um, and he'd show up and it'd be like, oh no, a minor offender appears. He's out after curfew. Um, there was a really gross tentacle that really looked like a really gross tentacle. And when it attacked, it would suction Ogden's head. Um, you had the slick con man and he'd be like, oh man, it's shank or be shanked and attack. Um, the slimes of this game were the rock monster family you would have mr rock monster and mrs rock monster and they had the rock monster kid um who was a rebellious youth with a he was a rock with a mohawk because you know he was rebellious and they would have funny stuff like you'd be a mrs rock monster would attack and be like did you call me fat whack something like that um or I got one of the little screenshots I was going through trying to find some stuff. And like Mr. Rock, if you were in a battle with two of them or something, Mr. Rock Monster would try to explain the lipstick on his collar and like get attacked <laughs> by his wife during it or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, it, that does sound it, very earthboundish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one of the other influences. But um, not very incel. No, no. The, the, Mr. Rock Monster and Miss Rock Monster, no matter what, they had each other. Although, Ogden, he was pretty much alone in chapter one. Um, just this washed up hero. Um, he goes about the business of world saving at the beginning, um, kind of sets up the characters from the rest of the game, because chapter two is called The Heir Apparent, um, or The Heir Unapparent, sorry. Um, it's got a parallel story of what happens to Prince Anders, who uh, gets kidnapped at the beginning of chapter one. Um, so you play as him for a bit. Um, he becomes an important. He finds this important artifact that becomes central to the story later in the game and in the um, sequel, because there's a Dragon Fantasy book two, or I believe it's the Tome of Ice and Wind or something like that. Maybe just the Tome of Black Ice or something like that. Black Tome of Ice. Uh, but there's a chapter three to this first one called Operation Desert Plunder. Um, it's got a new character, Gerald and Ramona. It's a thief and his niece trying to escape the desert. Um, and they find 
the artifact that's also in chapter two. So all these kind of stories kind of intersect. And actually, I think my favorite chapter was they had this intermission at the end of the game, and it was basically a Minecraft kind of intermission. And I say that it had a crafting table and you would craft stuff together that stuff that you find there. Um, and you had to fight an ender dragon or something like that. And they did this kind of um, in honor of the game's first appearance at a convention. They kind of got talked into showing it at uh, Minecon in 2011. And at that point, um, we're like, oh, maybe we should actually not just work on this on nights and weekends. This might actually be something our company works with. So I, I, I had a lot of fun with this game and then had even more fun with the sequel that I did play on the Vita. This one I didn't play on the Vita, although it was there. I beat it before I bought my Vita. But just a funny little game. It, I will say it plays a lot like an early Dragon Quest game. You got to grind a lot. You've either got one or two people total in your party. So, uh, you know, it, it's not exactly a world beater at the beginning. The second game in the series gets the gang all together and has monster recruitment and goes a lot more in depth. But I mean, the first game itself, you enjoyed early Dragon Quest. Um, I wouldn't even say Final Fantasy as much because you're not nearly that many people in the game, but it's a pretty good game. Anybody, and this is one I'd heard about for so long. Like I said, I stalked them on Facebook, so I uh, had to do that. But anybody else uh, give this one a try? This one is. Uh, I one, actually played it. You've you've oh. actually. I've always seen it around, and I've always been interested in trying it, but. I don't know. I've always just kind of hesitated at the point of actually buying it and trying it, but yeah, I, when I played it, I I liked it, but it really felt like a prototype of a game more so than a full game. Like I had a lot of the elements there, but they weren't fully baked. Uh huh. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it felt like oh, here's some leveling up, here's some gold, but there's like four places you can go to to buy some equipment. But really, you just want to buy this particular particular equipment and use these weapons. And it was a very small map. Um, it felt very. I was like, oh well, I'm sure you know the sequel. They probably you know expanded it a bit more, but yeah, for the sequel they went more with a um, like Chrono Trigger kind of battling system, and it um, and they also had monster recruitment. So oh, that's that's yeah, neat. Uh, is it? Yeah, like, I will say how this... how in depth how in depth is the monster stuff. God, there's 30 or 40 different monsters you can get. Oh, okay. And they're like, they become party members kind of like in Dragon Quest V? Yeah, I mean, and I will say it may be more like Dragon Quest Sixty because you get so many party members that it doesn't always, you don't always feel the need to. Although right. um, it, at parts of the game, the party split up. So you really do need these monsters. Hopefully you've been getting some along the way because all of a sudden stuff happens a few hours into the game and you're Ogden again and all alone and you're the Prince Anders, I believe, or whatever. And you're kind of all alone over here. So, you know, each little party's got their own group of monsters to play with. I will say, I thought the uh, Minecraft section was definitely a love letter to Minecraft. Oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Literally just Minecraft characters as the uh, enemies. Uh huh. <laughs> really? I remember an Enderman being in there. Oh, wow. Okay. So, all right. Well, we'll move on to our next game. And Evan, let's hear from you about your game. Don't you mean Bevan? So Bevan, yay! Bevan! Bevan. 
<laughs> so, so plenty earlier yes. you were saying brewskis aside tell us put our brewskis, brewskis aside. aside well i'm saying right now i want you to grab your brewskis and put them in front of you because Woo-hoo. i'm gonna be talking because i'm gonna be talking about va11 hall a which i'm just gonna call valhalla from the rest of this it's a uh they, they describe it as cyberpunk bartending action. It's basically a visual novel that kind of looks like a PC-98 game set in like a cyberpunk future. So it has a lot of that aesthetic. It's got a great soundtrack. Oh my God, that soundtrack. Um, But basically you are Jill, you're a bartender, bartender, and you get into work and you go, all right, go to the jukebox, pick a big list of songs. And those songs are your backgrounds, pretty much. While you go about your shifts, serving all these various colorful characters uh, from this cyberpunk world. Uh, you mix drinks. It's like it's all fake drinks, not not real drinks. And they'll have like ridiculous names to them. Like I think like Cormantrine and other random things. And the drinks are called like Moon Blast, Piano Man. Uh, there's one that's just called Beer. Um, <laughs> So basically, the idea, is, <laughs> I know, right? Um, humor. <laughs> yeah, I think the description's like it's just beer. Uh, it's not really good though because uh, it's it's really terrible. It made of really terrible elements or something like that. Um, but basically, uh, I think the game lives and dies on its uh, humor uh, because it's a, again visual novel. So you get a lot of jokes, quippy back and forth dialogue between the characters, and. Um, I'm just gonna say, there's a dog in the game called Rad Sheba, and he wears a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses, and he talks to you, and everyone's really excited about it. And if you don't like that kind of humor, you might not like this game. Uh, the game is full of references, other stuff. Like I think one of the songs is called uh, "Believe in Me, Who Believes in You," which is a Gurren Logon quote. Oh God! There, there is a <laughs> wow. Ready for a deep cut here? So one of the one of the characters that you serve is like a very large-breasted hacker, and at one point, Jill questions her on if they're real, and she says, "What is it? They're not just real; they're spectacular." <laughs> which, which is apparently a Seinfeld go quote. That. Oh yeah, uh-huh. I I know that episode. Oh, that's a great episode. Yeah, I was I was expecting I was expecting you to say something like, "Do they exist? On, do they do they exist? Are they on this plane of existence?" Then yes, they're real. Oh <laughs> there's uh, oh yeah, they make a lot of references to this poor girl's chest, but um, poor girl. Uh, there's like, a lot of really like I know, right? She's so she's all about it. She doesn't mind. So, uh-huh. but like so one of the weirdest one of the weirdest references is so. There was a publisher for this game, and they published uh, Y2K, spelt the letter Y, the Roman numeral 2K. No, 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 no. I fucking hate that game. No. (laughs) No. So it was published published by the same people. It's not developed by the same people, but it was the same publisher. And for some reason, there were tons of very poorly uh, thought out references to this game in here. Uh, one God. of which is you actually serve you actually serve patrons that are dressed in cosplay as those characters and they're on their way to a fan convention and it's often referenced that it is a cult classic game that has had many remasters remakes. They don't deserve as much. Uh, no. 
throughout the game, you can uh, buy stuff after hours, like as a, as a present for yourself. And one of the things you can buy is a action figure for the character Alex from the game. There is a ton of references to Y2K in this thing. Uh, <laughs> there's... <laughs> My personal favorite is there's a character named Streaming Chan, and she's like a, a streamer who's coming into the bar. She's never had anything to drink. And if you get her drunk, you ask her, so what's it like? Or something like that. Or what are you feeling? And she goes, palm sweaty, knees weak, arm spaghetti. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. This that's, game sounds amazing. That's some pretty wild uh, references. Like, I think there's, uh, there's a reference to Hatsune Miku in there somewhere. Um, there's there's a character in there who's like an android idol, like she's like a robot, but she's also she performs on stage, so she's sort of like a Hatsune Miku type character. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, it's really funny. <laughs> I think if you can appreciate the humor, you'll really like it. The game is very simple. The character just goes like, "Oh, I want this drink," and you literally just pull up the menu on how to make it, tells you everything you need, how much you need to put in it, how you mix it. You know, how, you know, they'll ask, oh, I want a big one. So you just double the ingredients. They'll go, oh, I want a sweet drink. You pull up uh, the list of sweet drinks. You can pick any one of them. Uh, usually it's a good idea to pick a drink that costs the most because they'll give you more money, which means you'll accumulate more money. And that was kind of like the weird half-baked part of the game was money is kind of important, but it's not. Because after your shift is done, she's like, oh, I want to buy something. And if you buy something, uh, that'll increase her focus, which will make her tips bigger. And there's like only two months, three months worth of paying your rent. And you have to pay your rent. If you don't, you automatically get a bad ending. So it is it is very hard to fail this game because they go, I want this drink, make it. Um, and then you pay your rent like two or three times the whole game. And so long as you can, you know. As long as you can keep your finances good enough, you know, it's you're fine. Um, some of the stuff you can buy is pretty cool. Like, I think you can buy a game console and you play like a, if you play a little level of a uh, side-scrolling shooter, like a, what do you call them, a shmup? You play a shmup. It's like a magical girl. And it's got its own music, its own track. It's uh, got boss at the end. It's really hard. Uh, it, it has its own trophy attached to it. And I was going for the platinum and I tried playing this game. I spent like two hours trying to beat this 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 part of the game i just couldn't do it um but yeah it's a great game it's one that I, I feel like i say this all the time but it is one of those few games where i actually went out of my way to buy the soundtrack i had intended to buy the cd i'm pretty sure i ordered the cd because it's very big it has all the songs and then i get the mail and it's actually the slightly more expensive record with less songs <laughs> it was it was really weird it's a nice record though honestly um but yeah uh like I said, it's a great game. Uh, very short. I think I played it in 12 hours. It's a very chill game. You're not supposed to stress. You're supposed to relax at, you know, 1030 at night. And uh, before you go to bed, play an hour or two. The game's broken up very uh, kindly. Uh, it's broken up as uh, you serve two customers, go on your break, serve two more customers, go home. So you can break it up very easily. Um, big surprise, I played it on the Vita. Uh, so I was able to just... <laughs> Turn out the lights while I was in bed, play a day, uh, turn off my Vita, go to sleep, rinse, repeat, till I finish the game. It was very relaxing. And there isn't much story to it. It's more like world building stuff. Like there's a newspaper that changes every day and you can read the news. Um, obviously, characters will come in talking about geopolitical issues sometimes. Um, sometimes the characters are just like a part of the world themselves. I mentioned an android idol 
and a hacker. Uh, there is a there's a android sex worker who talks about her job often, and she had a really weird backstory. It's like she looks like a teenager or something, but she's an old. She's older than that. It's like that you know ten thousand year old dragon type meme. And uh, no, no, that that never pretty much happened. It, yeah. Games. Fire emblem. No. She, she makes tons of like sex jokes all the time. So if you're into sex jokes, tons of them. Uh, but yeah, great game. Would recommend. It's uh, definitely a good starter for someone who wants to get into or at least understand visual novels because it's not all visual novel and it moves pretty quickly. It's not super long, like I said. It's it's only one. There's the bad ending and then there's the good ending. And I believe New Game Plus has like unique patrons and i think it has like a, a special ending i think it has like some weird exclusive stuff in the new game plus section but it's again it's a very chill game very quick game uh gives you an idea for what a what a visual novel is like without overseeing its welcome like many visual novels do um and you get to mix drinks and listen to great 80s music <laughs> sounds good you know you're talking about that um what is it the thousand year old dragon girl whatever Circling back to our earlier discussion of the Nintendo Direct, my mom's over this week um, to watch the kids uh, as we were going around doing some other stuff. Took a day off of work yesterday, and she's just hanging out at our house for an entire week because they're getting stuff done at their house. And she's like, ah, I don't want to be around construction. So she's sitting there watching the Nintendo Direct, which I'm sure is the first time in her life for that. But the very first thing is the reveal of the new Smash character from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. <laughs> oh, boy. And about 30 seconds into it, she's like, so how old is that girl supposed to be? Because that's a pretty big rack. <laughs> Your mom said that to you? Oh, my God. My mom said that to with the kids in the room. Whatever. She doesn't censor herself at all. <laughs> wow. I was like, well, Mom, that's, you know, that's par for the course. So if you want to look up the hacker character, her name is Alma, A-L-M-A. If you want to look up the robot sex worker, it's Dorothy, spelt like Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you need to spell the name of the game for us. That's going to be a lot harder to look up. G-A-11-Hall, spelt like Hall, dash A. Oh, you think that's bad? Um, what is it? They're working on a sequel right now, and I think it's spelled it's Nirvana, but it's spelled N one R V and A N N dash A. Nirvana. Oh boy. I've already, lo I've already looked it up, and this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Just listen to the soundtrack. It's really great, quite honestly. I thought it was a stroke of genius to have it so every day you start. Uh, or between your breaks or whatever, you get to choose the songs in the jukebox, and that's just the background music while you're playing the game. Hey, I'm down for that. I love a good soundtrack for a game. I'll play that. I've never played Transistor, and I listen to that soundtrack all the time. Then the music can make or break the experience, man. It it really can. It really can. But can it? Can it? Well, yes. no. <laughs> you have you you have no you have you have no say in this, Mister. <laughs> I play games with no sound on ever, unless they have J-pop. <laughs> Sure. So the music has never broken a game for me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, there's no highs, but there's no lows. And uh, speaking of no lows, I think our next game is definitely not a low point. Should be a pretty high point. Uh, Burian, what do you want to talk about? What other game you want to talk about? So, you like Castlevania? Nope. Yes. Nope. 
Well, I guess let's move on to the next game then. <laughs> I'm just kidding myself. <laughs> Good night, that's brewery. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> no, this game is called Guacamele. It is a Metroidvania action platforming video game. It's basically Mexican Castlevania, as simply as you can put it. Alright. And it's two-player. Um, and it's two-player. That's the best Ooh, part about it. I'm back. So it was um, developed by Drinkbox Studios, and I think it originally came out on the PlayStation 3 uh, in 2013. Um, like, PS3 and PlayStation Vita were the two yes. big release uh, platforms for this game at first. And then it came to, like, literally everything else afterwards. Because I played it a few years after on my Wii U. So, Yay! This... <laughs> I was waiting for that one. I was uh, waiting for that one. Yay! Uh, um, it's, a, it's kind of a hybrid... Um, Metroidvania style action platformer and brawler um, like so the main plot for this game more or less is that you know in in, in the Mexican village of Santa Lucida you play as Juan he is a humble agave farmer and on Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, he is going to go and meet with his childhood friend and love interest the El Presidente's daughter Lupita uh, the antagonist of the game uh carlos shows up uh, attacks the village kidnaps her um you know you go and try to rescue her but you are you're basically no match against this guy and he kills you you are sent to the land of the dead uh and there you come across a luchadora named tostada she gives you a mystical mask that transforms you into a powerful luchador and it also enables you to travel back to the world of the living so then you, in, in the style of, you know, a Metroidvania, so think, you know, uh, Symphony of the Night and basically every Castlevania after that, you progress through stages, meeting characters, fighting bosses, uh, picking up power-ups, revisiting old places with your new power-ups and stuff like that. It's very colorful. It's, it is heavily dipped in Mexican kind of uh, culture and everything like that. This game also has a ton, a ton of video game references in it. Like, it has got everything under the sun in terms of uh, references at the time. Um, name a popular video game series, and they make a reference to it in this game, basically. Dragon Quest? Uh, I said, like, 2013, <laughs> so no. Oh, far the dark One of the dark ages for Dragon Quest in the yeah. West, so <laughs> definitely not that one. what is <laughs> even the point? What's even the point? <laughs> So, you know, they're, one, of the, one of the bigger kind of references they make is like, uh, you know, Mario and Luigi as luchadors in the game. And there's kind of like big posters hanging around one of the big cities for it. Uh, but um, the game has, has got a lot of, it's got a lot of character. It's got a lot of pizzazz to it in terms. Um, the writing is very snappy. Every time you learn a new move, it is from this kind of elder shaman kind of kind of guy who is always transformed into a goat for no real reason that is explained. He's just kind of a goat and he goes, Hey, hey you dummy, here's a new move for you. Now get out of here. Kinda kinda uh attitude about it. Um but as you progress through the game, you um you come across these um gosh, what are what are they called? They're called like it's a play on the Chozo statues from Metroid. I think they were like Chuzos or something like that. They were like these giant, I think they were goat-shaped statues. 
because yeah. that's what you would break open <laughs> to free this goat-like shaman guy who would transform out of his uh, shape and be like, what do you want? Here's a move. Get out of here. And um, you would use those new abilities to access new areas. Um, you know, it could be anything from upgrades from like double jumps to turning into a chicken to traverse small corridors and then even abilities to constantly trans uh, transport between like the living world and, uh, you know, areas of the dead. I mean, even at one point, you, you literally go to hell to uh, kind of confront one of the bosses. Um, the cool thing about this game is when it originally came out on the PlayStation 3, it had this uh, awesome cross-buy feature. So if you bought it on your Vita, you could play it on your PS3 and vice versa. This game also had a metric ton of uh, DLC. So there's like a billion versions of it out there. So you can buy Guacamelee at base. But um, if you're going to buy it these days, you want to buy Guacamelee um, Super Turbo Hyper Edition, I think is what it's called. Or Super <laughs> Super Turbo Championship Edition is what it is called. And that came out like a year or so after the initial game came out. And it includes everything. And the, like like Blue said earlier, it's, it's a really great game because you can play it by yourself and have a lot of fun. Um, I personally enjoy basically every interaction between Juan and all of the bosses because it wasn't this kind of general kind of like oh you have entered my lair prepare you know and do the whole evil monologue thing it would be kind of very very realistic quippy uh, comedic dialogue that really kind of snapped very well and um you could also play it with a friend locally which was great i i I played through it in its entirety with my girlfriend she she loved playing it and she's she doesn't really play video games all that much um the, the thing that really has it going for it is i like that it's really really colorful like a lot of games love to use 50 shades of brown well this one's got everything under the prism and, it's super uh, neon and it's, it maybe, really is maybe also a little seizure inducing uh it, if it, you're not careful but it can yeah it can be at, it can be at times um it has a sequel as well just called guacamelee 2 um i bought it recently and i haven't had a chance to play it but i doesn't that one support like online co-op but i think it supports up to four players but, that's uh, a good question i uh this is one of my brother's favorite games and i played it with him a couple times but i don't remember how quite how far i got mostly mo- mostly this is his game uh and i know he talked about the sequel but i don't know if it was four player or not The sequel is is more from what I've read of it. It's it's literally just more of the same. But I enjoyed the first one so much that I know I'm just gonna enjoy the second one playing it. Almost sounds to me like with the color scheme and stuff they went for, they purposely tried to use some of those um, not gaudy colors, but you know the brighter colors that you might see from like uh, Day of the Dead. Yeah, no, that and that's the whole that's the whole shtick of it. It is is the game is 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 very much seeped in a Mexican culture, and it is very prevalent uh, across the entire game. So it's um, it's very colorful, like you know, like if you've seen a Mexican sugar skull, it's yeah. kind of a lot of stuff like that, and is fantastic for that. Okay. Yeah, like okay, I just looked it up. The game complete uh, Guacamelee Two itself can be played solo or cooperatively with three other players so it does have four players total and nice. and the cool thing about it is as as you play as juan or um um 
what was her name? Tostada. Tostada. Tostitos. Tostitos pizza rolls. You, you also have costumes that you can unlock, and each costume can um, do different things to your stats. Like, hey, you know, you'll have your 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 jump or your strength will be greater, but you know, you'll take a con to some other stats. So you can make it easier or harder for yourself depending on the costumes that you use. And there's a lot of fun ones. I mean, one of them was just you in a chicken suit one of them is like <laughs> an old aztec warrior one of them is kind of a devil in a business suit you know that kind of stuff yeah. it um it, it has a lot of great humor and it's not afraid to make fun of itself as well hmm. well it is cool to hear some first-hand opinions about this one because this is a game that i've seen come up on sale quite a bit like on my switch and on i remember on the vita it was advertised a lot too but it's one that, as I've slowly gotten more and more into Metroidvania games, that I've wanted to really check out. And I mean, from you talking about it, it sounds like it's a pretty fun time. And you know, it seems like it um, respects um, the uh, themes it's going for, from like you know, taking ideas from Mexico and you know, celebrations and sort of, you know, combining everything together to pay respects to that culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, all the video game references—you gotta love it. <laughs> It pays homage to like just about every every kind of old two D uh, style game out there. So, but the real question is, does it have a reference to taking an arrow to the knee? Oh, actually, oh. I think it I, might. I, it probably <laughs> does because it came out about two years after. So, <laughs> I'm fairly certain it does. Actually, I would not. Yeah, I, it's been a while since I've played it myself, but I would not doubt if it did. <laughs> Oh boy. All right. Well, sounds like we uh, dipped into that one quite a bit. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Get some guacamole. Some guacamole. Yeah, I'll fight you for that last bit of guac. All right. <laughs> Let, let's uh, wander on over to our next game. Um, what, once Blue composes herself, because I think this is hers. She just really loves that guacamole, man. She does. I mean, it, it's delicious. It's delicious. It's all your fault. <laughs> so let's head on over to Wander Song. All right. So uh, Wander Song is actually a game that my brother got for me for Christmas. I want to say it was two Christmases ago. And I played through most of it that season. And then I put it down and I actually uh, just went back and beat it last night. Um, so, uh, Nothing quite like procrastination, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I actually got kind of a similar vibe to Guacamelee, just from like the world and the fun references. Uh, the colors aren't quite as bright and vibrant, but it's still very much a rainbow game. Like every everything is bright and happy. Um, the entire so so the, the entire point of the game your only interactions are to jump and to sing uh so you can solve puzzles by singing you can talk to ghosts by singing you can sing to win boss battles or make friends or uh command a bug army to move blocks for you or fly on some strange whale things by singing, and it's absolutely the silliest thing I've ever played, but it is so wholesome, and just, it, it makes you smile when you actually see it. 
Um, there is one other uh, interaction that you can do is uh, you can dance and throughout the game you'll find the masked dancer and he'll teach you different dance moves that you can just do while you walk around but it's completely uh, the, the dancing is completely irrelevant to the gameplay it's, it's just for fun and you know there, there are some fun meme dances in there but I, I won't spoil what they are because uh, that's part of the fun of the game is finding them out um so the premise of the game is that you are a happy little bard who everybody thinks is a little bit strange um i i actually got kind of upset because my mom in the game called me weird and i was like gosh mom you didn't have to do that uh but you have a dream one night that a rainbow spirit lady tests you to see if you are the hero um, she tells you that the world is going to be destroyed and reborn and that, you know, the, the goddess who created the world, this is a cycle that has been going on and on and on for a long time. Um, but there is a way to save it, save the world, and that is by singing the Earth Song, which is something that is split into seven pieces, one guarded by each of seven overseers who are guardians of the Earth who reside in the spirit realm. So you embark on a quest to learn all the pieces of the Earth Song to save the world. Um... So in each of seven chapters, you essentially start off, for the most part, uh, exploring the real world. It'll be in a town, you'll be helping people around, there's a pirate chapter, there's a chapter where you have to get a band together and sing with them. Um, the pirate chapter is my favorite because you, you just sing sea shanties as the boat, as you control the boat and send the boat around to a bunch of different islands looking for mermaids. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. The pirates sell coffee beans. And when your character drinks coffee, uh, very, very fun things happen. And they vow never to give you coffee again. It's, it's, it's that good of a time. <laughs> um, but it's, it's absolutely just a great experience going through all of... The puzzles in the world and the character development is really, really cool, uh, even for such a simple story, but it's it's way more complicated than you'd ever expect it to be. Um, so yeah, it's it. I really, really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. Um, it's not quite as beat stuff up as Guacamelee is. It's very much more low-key, um, but just sort of the i don't i don't know i feel like the vibe is kind of similar is this the one that you were just beating today i know you were trying to finish it one was, off for the podcast yeah it was yesterday i posted yesterday pictures, yeah. pictures of my whale friend and my bug friends in the, in the <laughs> discord uh, the whale picture i thought was especially funny it was great he was my friend i could pet him and i could feed him rocks so that he would fly me to higher platforms uh <laughs> I totally thought it was a narwhal at first, but then I saw it had two little antenna things, and I'm like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Basically the same thing. Uh, the creatures are so, uh, they're, they're just so charming and all over the place. And, you know, there are a lot of birds who you get to help you, and it's, it's very much a you'll walk into an area they'll give you sort of a, basically they'll present this uh, game piece to you and essentially you know lead you through hey this is how this is how this object works and this is how you can sing to this object to get it to move you through the level uh and then as you keep going you get <laughs> you get more more and more uh advanced things with that mechanic and each level has you know probably one or two big mechanics that it focuses on 
Sounds pretty good. Sounds yeah, it sounds pretty good. I, I saw some yeah. screenshots of it uh, after you were talking about it uh, the other day. And it looks interesting. I like the way it looks a lot. I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah. It's it's so fun. You'll never expect the story to be quite as good as it is, but it's just it's just so wholesome. And the the main character is really it, he's a riot. Um, just being happy all the time, and you know they'll they'll say something like, uh, "How how can you be so sure that you'll be able to save the world?" And blah blah blah. And art, how are you going to beat this boss? Are you going to sing to it? And he's just like, "Maybe it might work. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. With hearing his um, few songs, like from that clip I uh, shared with you, Blue, the other night. I imagine that his voice would almost sound like Mickey Mouse, where he's like, "Ho ho, I'm the bard." <laughs> Actually, you know, I I can I can I can totally see that. Um, one of the uh, the the musician in me kind of likes that as you progress through the game, each level kind of gives you a slightly different scale. So essentially. Um, you have eight notes that you can sing in a circle. And so like at very at the very beginning, it's it's like a major scale uh, all the way up. But you know, as the game goes on and things start to get darker, like the the colors of the notes that you sing will change. They'll become a lot more muted. Um, it won't quite follow a major scale anymore. And it's 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 just kind of interesting that that little nuance is in there, but that's totally me being a music geek. <laughs> Wow. Someone who's not a music geek, namely me, <laughs> will uh, try to follow up uh, your description of a very musical game with one that uh, apparently has music. At least I've been told that it has. Um, but I'm going to go as about indie as indie gets for my second game. I'm going to talk about Stardew Valley and maybe one of the more well-known games here. But it's also probably one of the ones that I don't know if any of these these other ones, we're talking about small studios. Uh, Stardew Valley was about as small a studio as you can get. It was uh, one dude, good old Eric. Eric Barone uh, created Stardew Valley alone. Um, he did it as an homage to Harvest Moon. He kind of thought our Harvest Moon had begun to lose its way. So he thought, eh, what the hell, I'll make a better one. Uh, <laughs> you know, as people do, just, eh. You know, screw that. I, I can do better than that. Um, he had uh, he had majored in, I, I want to say computer science. I was reading through his thing earlier this week. Uh, majored in computer science in college, but never really got into the coding aspect of it. Graduated and was like, ah, oh, crap, man. Maybe I should learn coding. That, that probably would have been a good idea. Uh, so as he took his kind of, you know, day job, smaller side jobs, he would invest dozens of hours, not not dozens of hours per day, but he, he would invest a great deal of time every day working on just his coding skills and doing graphics and music and art and eventually spent five years making this game Stardew Valley. Um, it's basically like a 2D Harvest Moon game. Got a slight bit of Zelda 1-ish combat, just, you know, basic combat to check the box that yes, there is combat in this. Uh, you start the game as a cubicle worker whose grandfather dies, and as one does in these games, it leaves you a farm. And you decide to break out of the corporate rat race and just go take over the farm. And uh, you're in this rundown farm <clears throat> in the uh, titular Stardew Valley. 
you're trying to fix up the farm and you, you kind of get a choice the game kind of goes one of two ways you can either kind of choose to fix up this local community center uh rec room area and there's tons of quests about that or you can work to turn that whole area like into the local not walmart place um and as you do in harvest moon you grow crops you befriend townsfolk you do festivals you mine you fish um, you do a little bit of that repetitive Zelda 1 combat area in one of two dungeons. And, you know, that's the simple what the game is. It's very well done, but, you know, there's not all these systems and everything. It, it, he really did took that Harvest Moon, took the best parts about it, and just did really well with it. Um, and again, I waited till this one came out on Vita, picked it up like the day it dropped on Vita. Actually, I think I picked it up a couple days before it dropped on Vita because I, they announced like the week before Vita that it was going to be a cross buy. So if you bought the PS4 version, you'd get the Vita. And I was like, oh, crap, then I don't have to wait. I bought the PS4, played it for maybe 10 minutes. And then a couple days later was playing it on my Vita, which turned out to be maybe not the best way. It was a little bit buggy. The second dungeon just didn't ever really. Um, the biggest bug in the game was the second dungeon. You're supposed to have random floors that you go down in this dungeon, like a hundred different floors, but they'd all be randomly generated. Well, pretty much every game day that I would play, the random floors were the only random floor was the first. And then the first floor would duplicate itself. So, I mean, I exploited the hell out of that. I'd wait till a day. I'd, I'd kind of go check on it every day. And if there was a day that there was a lot of resources on the first floor, it's like, hell yeah, I'm spending all day in this mine because every floor is going to be an exact copy of this. And I know where everything's going to be after one floor. And I could really speed run down to get some good stuff. Um, but I know I finished the game after a couple months, kind of set it aside and followed a Vita blog for a long time. And I don't know if that ever got ported out of the Vita because I think this was kind of a promise that was made that it would be put on the Vita and never touched again. Because this has had many, many, many updates for the PC version. And I mean, it's on anything you can imagine right now. PlayStation, Xbox, it's on mobile. Um, you know, PC is where it got its big start. And a lot of modding community there and multiplayer options and... Lots of stuff with that. And I thought it was funny when I joined RP Gamer um, back in 2018 that there was no review of the game on the site. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll write a review. And when I was applying to uh, be a reviewer there, they asked me to submit a few different writing samples. Like if I could write an editorial, what would I do? <clears throat> and the editorial that I wrote that never published it or anything, but um, wrote a couple pages of you know what kind of lessons can rune factory which at the time was dead and gone but one of my few like favorite series ever what could rune factory learn from stardew valley because as stardew valley was made to be this um harvest moon homage but i always saw it as like very close to rune factory too which again you're splitting hairs here but it had combat so that made me think rune factory instead of harvest moon um because when I looked it up, I was doing like research on Rune Factory and pretty much those games sell like 100 to 200,000 copies total every time. Um, they are not huge sellers. Um, I was reading somewhere like Rune Factory 4 was their best seller and found like Japanese charts where it like had 220,000 copies or something like that. And that was their best seller ever. So kind of like running all the numbers, I was like, OK, so this series is really never sold even 2 million copies total as a whole series. 
And by January of 2018, you know, which is three years ago at the point, by that time, Stardew Valley had sold 3.5 million copies alone. Um, so it, it was for one person to have made that and been way more of a commercial and wide success than, gosh, what, four or six, six different Rune Factory games combined. I was like, oh, my God, like, why I can't Rune Factory do this kind of stuff. Um, and I had five suggestions, like how Stardew Valley, um, what it did better than Rune Factory. And I kind of wrote that, you know, go multi-platform. Stardew Valley's on everything. I mean, I had it on Vita, and Vita was like probably the fourth or fifth thing that it came out for. You know, just flood the market, be everywhere. You know, don't just focus on I remember on it being... did really well on Switch, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it did. I, I was going to say that 3.5 million as of January 18 was like, I don't even think it was on Switch at that point. Like that was even before Switch. And yeah, it did really well on Switch. So so, you know, my gosh, like it, it we're probably in the five, six million dollar or five, six million copy range at this point. You know, it, get out there. Just come on, Rune Factory, be everywhere. Um, I, I also wrote one of the things was like ditch the anime style. I, I hate I mean, I love anime style games and everything, but the way Rune Factory <laughs> did it. <laughs> I like anime style games. I like yeah. anime. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <Style> games. <laughs> I, I actually don't watch anime, context. but. Flat is a weeb. <laughs> Tell, don't say that too mean, loud. You'll make his body pillow cry. <laughs> I think I said on one of the Slime Time Prime episodes, like one of the big reasons I love Dragon Quest is because it looks like a cartoon or it, it looks like anime. It doesn't look I'm not playing Call of Duty. I don't want like some realistic looking game. I don't play Final Fantasy 15 and have the bros driving around in the car. I, I like want something fantasy like and Stardew Valley, even though it looked like, you know, regular Joe Schmo moving into Kansas, uh, it, it was very like fantasy, like old buildings and, you know, just just the farm life. It, it didn't focus on um, looking like a cartoon. It was 2D. It had sprites and it was just fine the way it was like, you know, people love that style. You look at a lot of these indie games and they really go for that um, 2D sprite. Super Nintendo, maybe 32-bit kind of animation or really, really, really enhanced 16-bit animation these days. And, you know, people love that. Um, also, achievements. I've, I've been told people love achievements in games. And, but I don't know, Stardew Valley didn't really have any achievements. There was five different things you could level up in Stardew Valley, whereas, like, Rune Factory's got, like, 35 different kind of skills that you can, you, yeah. you have an achievement for, like, walking. I'm playing the fourth one right now. Don't remind me about that. <laughs> I mean, like every five minutes, you're like, Doo -doo, skill level up, up level up, level up. Yep. I, what just happened? Oh, I used the hoe. Okay. I, I, I swung the axe three times. Level up. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I like it. And again, Stardew Valley, very simple. It had a crafting thing. There's about 75 total recipes that you could make. Um, whereas like Rune Factory. Uh, Rune Factory 4 had 30, you're talking about that, it had 30 different short, sword, short swords alone. And, you know, just that was just one of eight different weapon types. There was literally close to a thousand recipes there when you put all the food and all the different types of weapons and everything together. Like boatloads of crafting. I did like Stardew Valley's, but they were only 75. Like, come on, Rune Factory, pump it up, man. Tell people you got all this stuff. Um, and 
I'll tell you what, I, I loved both of it in Stardew Valley and in Graveyard Keeper, which I talked about on our Halloween episode. But just a really simplistic combat thing. You don't need to go crazy. Um, Rune Factory leans into like, hey, we got eight different weapons and they all play differently. And da, 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 da. that's not the biggest selling point for Rune Factory. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they don't sell that much as it is. Um, you know, people want these life sims. That, that's where you're going. You're not going to compete with Xenoblade Chronicles for being an action RPG, like, woohoo, um, you know, lean into the farming. Stardew Valley did, and it was great. Um, they also had some great character interactions, which I think Stardew Valley does too, but, I mean, you've you got, what is it, the one guy in Stardew Valley has come back from a war and is, like, PTSD. Um, it's got, like, some real-life stuff in there. I wouldn't say it's a dark game. Um, not like the next Star Trek movie that I was talking about earlier today. <laughs> Leaning into the whole dark. It's going to be dark. Um, not game, but movie. Yeah, I think I said that right. Who knows? But it, Stardew Valley was just fun the whole time. I, I, I loved this game. I love the art style. Um, the music was I, I actually remember some of the music from some of the festivals, like the Spring Festival was just light and airy and the little um, gosh, like cherry blossom leaves were going around and flowing through the sky uh i know when it rained it slowed my vita down because that was not optimized very well (laughs) (laughs) but i loved it it was fine like stardew valley is really like basic but like the epitome of everything that these kind of farming sim games should be well we know you really liked it because you talked about it a lot (laughs) (laughs) he must have really liked it too because he actually talked about the music (laughs) I like that. Now, what were you going to say about me? Did you play this one? I've not played Stardew Valley. No, no. Okay. When we were having that conversation like last month of, I need something to play, you suggested Rune Factory because you know, I just needed something on the 3DS for when I go to bed at night and I have half an hour before I just absolutely knock out. So, and, I'll tell little... you what, Rune Factory, I think, does every everything better each little piece better than stardew valley and i love it more really but it it just i I don't know what it is like i mean i love the rune factories but i don't know why they don't appeal i think it's it's stripped down to the most simplistic but kind of deep systems that stardew valley has they're just great and they appeal to so many people and i'm sure being on pc and the whole modding community that popped up around that very quickly oh yeah a great big thing and the multiplayer is a huge you mentioned it the the big thing about this game is the accessibility yeah oh it's on everything yeah like you you're you know i i I know a few people who've played it and they don't play it on just one device oh no you got your farm here farm there (laughs) does that have cross save then or or are you saying just like they just haven't have multiple copies that i that i don't know i just know they have multiple copies of the game so i don't know i don't know if your your save crosses to other devices Okay. So, no. I believe they're. Uh, never. I guess mind. that would be hard I'm, to implement I'm, that, but I don't know. It's do. Well, I mean, it another is... thing about this is, what's this game cost? Fifteen, twenty bucks? I think so, about fifteen. Oh. Yeah, fine. and you, you know, any any platform you get this on, it's not that expensive. It's at fifteen, twenty dollars. Whereas, like Rune Factor, you, it's a sixty dollar game every time it comes out. And I think part did, of it is Rune... just the anime aesthetic. And also mm-hmm. where you buy it from. Like, I don't think you can get Rune Factory on PC, right? No. It, Rune, huh. Factory, Rune Factory 4 is the last Rune Factory that has come out. And when it came out on the 3DS, it was 2013. And then, even even then, 
an updated version of it got released for the Switch in the last couple of years, and that's been it. Because now, the previous year... three were on the DS, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then there were two Wii games. Have, I'm working have... my way through one of the yeah, Wii games right now. Wii games. I have Frontier, actually. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm playing right now. I'm about 25 hours in. And, and I'll say, that one seems so empty. Like, there's just, I don't know, a 3D empty world seems emptier than a 2D sprite empty world. I remember thinking it was very low-key and peaceful when I was playing it. It was so quiet, and it was just really relaxed, but there was, like, no one around. Yeah, it was it's, very, it's it was, hard it was to find the people. <laughs> I mean, at yeah, least and, on the, and the, and the 3DS on the DS, one, you got the map showing where they are. Yeah, that, yeah, and they're they're everywhere, and they're constantly running around. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, that was something that took me a minute on the Stardew Valley because I don't think there's a map showing you where they are. I mean, on the basic Vita version of the game, there wasn't. You probably have to learn their patterns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the charm of it. Like, the, the friends oh, that yeah. I have that are super into it, they're, they are all about the interpersonal connections of the other characters in the game. Like, sure, uh-huh. going and doing these roguelike dungeons and, to getting, and getting materials is great, but to some people... Like Animal Crossing, it's all about the decoration, it's all about the presentation, it's all about interacting with the players in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think have that it into, did it really well. Uh, have you looked into into Sakuna of Rice and Ruin? I actually really want to get that game. I've been having my eye on that one. So I've read some reviews of that, and it sounded good, but isn't it, it's got platforming elements? Yeah, it says Wikipedia says side-scrolling. Yes. And right there, that was like, eh. Then yeah, you definitely won't like 20XX. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to get that uh, Sakuna game. It looks it looks interesting. It looks kind of like the kind of mix of mixture of that um, life sim stuff slash mm-hmm. action that I, I think I could get into. I, I, I have Stardew Valley on my Vita, but honestly, I never really played much of it. Not because I didn't like it. I just couldn't, I just didn't really get into it at the time I tried playing it. But I mean, from hearing you talk about it, actually, I mean, it's you know, a just... definitely a game. I'll be honest. The first time I played when I played it, I only played it once. I put about 70 hours into it one summer. But I spent the entire first year like just focusing on my farm. I talked to people I needed to talk to. I, I did whatever festivals popped up, but I didn't give a single freaking person a single damn gift and i enjoyed that part but the second year once the second year came around i was like okay my farm's running i think i'd built myself up to like having automatic sprinklers so it was like cool my farm's almost on autopilot um like i i just spent every day like i had a little piece of paper next to me with like 15 people's names and like what gifts they liked and i would just walk around all day talking to them giving them gifts building up their stuff um, cause then they'll give you little requests like, Hey, I could really use, uh, you know, three pieces of iron for this weapon I'm trying to smelt. So, uh, can you go do that? And I, I spent the whole second year on that. And I mean, I'd love that just as much, mm-hmm. but knowing that that's there not wasn't... very incel of you. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I spent one full year as an incel. I, I did romance. <laughs> Boy, if I would have known that. Evan was going to keep bringing up the incel thing. We, I would have gotten a little bell to ring every time he said it. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't brought up MGTOW yet. Oh, God, I don't know. I'll ask about that one in the post-production. Ascended incel. <laughs> MGTOW. Oh, man. But no, I ended up dating the gamer chick in the game. There's a purple hair, and I just went with her because she had the purple hair. I was like, well, I got to pick one of these romance options eventually if I want to get married and have kids. And there's a gamer chick with uh, purple hair. And that was uh, (laughs) 
that was that was my choice in the game. <laughs> Play, I got a weird recommendation for you. So there's a All book right. called, book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, and mm-hmm. each chapter is the story of the development process of you know games like uh, Dragon Dragon Age Inquisition, Witcher Three. But one of the chapters is on uh, Stardew Valley, and mm-hmm. I read the. I read the book and it was very interesting uh, insight into how that game was developed. Uh, most interesting part was this guy was not prepared for how popular that game became. Oh, no, not at he all. was not ready. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he was working at like a movie theater and coming home every night and that might give you more <laughs> insight into why it became so popular because part of how he was developing the game i think he was doing it as like he was giving people updates and feedback so people were aware of this game well before it actually launched like it had a lot of you know like that yandere simulator game that has millions and millions of views per video hasn't even game hasn't even come out yet but that so many people are aware of these games before they come out there's a lot of talk about them yeah that might be something that rune factory doesn't have yeah i mean and that's the thing. And you know what? Rune Factory just looks like another JRPG. It looks like a dime a dozen. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the, this game, when it came out, it looked like 1990s Super Nintendo. And it really hit on that nostalgia. Um, looked prettier than that, obviously. But, you know, it was different in that. It, it, I mean, I guess nowadays, you know, this was like, what, seven years ago. Um, nowadays, all the indies hit on the pixel graphics. But... You know, going back and doing that formula that a lot of and being a chill game that you could just sit down and do whatever like uh, Animal Crossings has proven that it's been. Imagine if somebody did like a 2D Animal Crossings. Mm. Could you imagine that? You know, somebody needs to do a love letter to Animal Crossings. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I just I think I need to. It's my cool original game, Crossing Animals. Yeah, a story. Story of Seasons is what Harvest Moon is turned into they uh split from their localizer and uh lost the naming rights to that yeah wasn't it story of seasons now if you want the true harvest moon experience yeah. yes if you, you want the same people that you know started harvest moon now you play story of seasons harvest moon is out there because another company was like wow we could we could just use the harvest moon name and make our own games yeah but, but yeah you talking about like the word of mouth thing i mean that's uh that that reminds me of like when we when I, we talked about bug or when I talked about bug fables a few episodes ago, like that's pretty much you know how you know good word of mouth before the game came out sort of raised awareness for it, and that's how I found about it, found out about it, and um, you know sort of that thing where you know Nintendo's really not making one of these Paper Mario games with the combat system that people like, so hey somebody came along and made their own thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, Stardew Valley has, you know, it's good is a great example of someone doing that. And, you know, it exploded like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it it's outselling any Harvest Moon game. It's outselling any Story of Seasons game, like by multitudes. But again, it's everywhere. They're not charging $60 a pop for it. So it's it's easy for people to not only is it casual like Animal Crossings, but it's also easy to be like, eh, you know, I'll drop 15 bucks on this and. If I like it, I like it. Yeah. Not a lot of casual gamers walk around like, meh, I'll drop 60 bucks on it. And if I don't like it, whatever. So, all right. I think I've talked about this enough. Yangus, why don't you uh, talk your second game? All right. Well, my second one is pretty short, which is convenient because it has short in the title. It is a short hike. Um, It is a game that was made by Adam Robinson Yu. Uh, originally released back in 2019 on Steam and I believe on other uh, PC hardware as well. And eventually it came out to the Switch um, just last year. 
in the summertime. Uh, the game uh, takes place on a small island, just kind of out in the middle of the ocean, and it focuses on these little animal people that live on there, which, funny enough, just because I was talking about Animal Crossing. <laughs> but um, you play as this little bird girl named Claire who is staying with her aunt and some of her cousins for over the summer. Uh, she's a little antsy because she's waiting for a particular phone call. You don't know what the phone call is about, but, you know, she's... You know, feeling a little antsy about that about that phone call, and you know, she's not really in a familiar place over the summer. So she talks to her aunt, and her aunt tells her, "Oh, you know, you should go off and explore the island. You know, you might find something. You know, to help kind of take your mind off things, and uh, you know, just you know, it'll kind of help you uh, relax a bit more." Well, then Claire finds out from her aunt that if she's able to, you know get to a high enough point she'll be able to get some cell phone reception because the reason why she's not getting this phone call that she's expecting is because there's not really any reception where she's at so claire's aunt tells her you know go off and explore you know try and get up to a higher altitude you might get a bar then for your phone and from there the game pretty much just becomes you go and explore the island you try and find higher places again and again and eventually, your, your ultimate goal is to get to the top of the mountain that uh, is like the center point of the island, basically. But other than that, you are pretty much free to explore and do whatever you want on this little island. So you can go and explore, talk to the NPCs, uh, do some fun little side quests. Like one of the little kids that walks along the beach, he's looking for a shovel and a pail. So you can go around and you might find the shovel and a pail on one of the other beaches of the island or up on the cliff somewhere. Um... So, you know, you take it back to him, he'll give you a little prize. Usually your prizes for completing side quests or just from exploring are these little golden feathers. Uh, golden feathers will let you uh, gain extra jumps. So basically, we you start with, um, you know, a single jump and you can glide by holding down the jump button. But the more of these golden feathers you find, uh, you'll be able to get extra jumps. I think you can end up with, if I remember right, the max you get, you end up finding is 20 of them. So you can get a ton of altitude. You can climb really high, dis, you know, really uh, high heights. You can uh, fly around for a long time. You know, you do all this sort of stuff, the more, it's basically like your stamina bar, essentially. But the game is, it's a very relaxing game, one that you can just take your time with. Uh, you know, go, you can go and just focus on the main goal if you want to. You can do some of the side quests that are available. You can also do a lot of fishing. There's a ton of spots where you can catch unique fish in the game, like if, whether you're up in the snowy mountains, uh, if you're down on the beach, if you're a fish in the rivers. There's a lot, there's, there was actually a lot of content in this game that really surprised me. Uh, because even when I had thought that I had beaten the game, I was still finding a bunch of extra side content. Like this is a game that if you just kind of enjoy taking your time, looking around and exploring, uh, to figure out, you know, what you're, what, or trying, trying to find stuff to do, you're gonna find a good chunk of content uh, to keep you busy. Like there was one point where I was exploring and I found uh, this little volleyball net set up by these two kids, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we're trying to, you know, play this game, but unfortunately, there's only two of us, so we can't really play it." Do you? Want and Claire's like, "Oh, you know, sure, I'll, I'll play along with you." And you can end up playing this little. Um, volleyball type game for quite a while and if you end up doing that the kids are so impressed that they'll actually give you um this little extra hat that they have so you you get a little bit of decoration for claire the main character if you want to um you know you can do just if you want to you can just focus on speed running the game because there actually is a in-game option for a speed running clock which is kind of funny i think i don't know what the fastest time somebody can beat this game at is but uh for my personal um, experience and from my play session of the game it took me about about five hours a little over five hours to be able i think of like 526 i think from when i just happened to turn on the clock after that update but what's nice about this game is that it's not overly expensive like when i bought it 
at launch on the eShop, it was, I think, 7 or $8. And, you know, for it giving you, like, five hours of content just from exploring around and looking around and, you know, just kind of taking your time with it or, you know, just do whatever you want to, I felt like I really got my money's worth from it. And I would love to replay it fresh again just to, you know, see if maybe I missed something or, you know, see if there's a faster way to do such and such. Or maybe there's um, an optional way to accomplish one of these little side goals that you have. And what I really enjoyed about the ending which I won't uh, spoil, even though it is a really short game. It was a very uh, sweet and touching moment. Like the phone call that Claire was waiting for, it's something that I feel like a lot of us can relate to, you know, especially the older you get and the older, um, you know, people, or, you, know, you know, the older they get and some of the people in your life might begin to uh, experience some changes you weren't expecting. So it was a really, ni- I thought it was a really nice ending for the game. And then you get this nice little triumphant moment where you can soar really high into the air, you know, gracefully make your way down the island as this uh, pretty music plays in the background, which if you want to find this game soundtrack, like I would highly recommend just listening to the soundtrack of the game if you can. Uh, the guy who composed the music, who unfortunately his name escapes me right now, he did a wonderful job with this game. And with this music, because it's it's a dynamic sort of soundtrack, because like as you run faster, like the music will pick up and add a few more instruments. Or if you kind of slowly walk around or stand still, the music will kind of lose a few instruments. It might be really soft then. So it's got it's got this nice approach for how the music plays. And like when you fly around in the air, uh, the music will get a few more strings to it. So they'll make like a dun 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 depending on what you're doing. So it's it's a really cool approach with how he did the music. And when you get that nice like triumphant theme at the end, uh, at the game after getting the phone call, and you know, you're soaring around the whole island and you get the little credit music that plays too, it's a really nice way to cap off the whole experience. Um this is a game that is really easy uh, to, you know, play it for like maybe 10, 15 minutes. You put it aside and then you come back to it when you want to, because like I said, this game does not really have a whole lot of goals other than, you know, just try and get to the top of the mountain as fast as you want to. So it's it's nice to um, play this one if you kind of like if you just want something to relax with, kind of like some of the other games we've talked about. It's one that you can just easily, you know, turn on and you don't have to be good with platforming or anything like that. You can just take your time, uh, you know, see what you can see. I know I'm kind of repeating myself a lot, but really that's just kind of the game that this is. It's just kind of a fun little experience. And you know what? For the price tag that it has of 7 or $8, I'm going to say 8 just to uh, round up a bit more. Like, you really can't go wrong with this one. It's a fun little experience. I think it's on most platforms nowadays. I don't know if it's on any PlayStation or Xbox um, storefronts or whatever, but if you have Steam or if you have a Switch and you happen to see this game on sale or, you know, if it is only priced at seven or eight bucks, I mean, you really can't go wrong with this. It's a nice little experience. And I will say one more thing that I absolutely love about this game is its graphic style. Normally, the game has this really chunky looking 3D uh, DS era graphic look to it, but you can actually adjust the settings so you can make it the graphics look nice and smooth and you know, everything looks really uh, not, everything looks really nice in the smooth, smooth options, too. But personally, I love the really thun- uh, thick and chunky. Like, that's even the name of that setting for the graphics. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Thick and Chunky for the graphics because it reminds me of uh, playing different DS games like um, Final Fantasy 3 and 4 remakes, uh, Super Mario 64 DS, and a few others. So if you... If you happen to have a bit of a soft spot for that kind of 3D look, like you're going to love that, uh, the thick and chunky look. But at the same time, if you want to smooth it, <laughs> goes right along this with the Valentine's Day. <laughs> if you're looking for thick and chunky, okay. Angus has a recommendation for you. There you go. And only for $8. <laughs> but, <Hey>, um, <laughs> but, 
yeah, this is uh, a short hike. It's not a super long game, but really, it, it, it is a fun, relaxing experience. And you know what? If you got uh, some extra money on your eShop or on your eShop account or on your Steam account or something, you know, throw it at the game, give it a whirl, and hey, you might you might have, be just like me and just have so much fun exploring that you just want to keep looking around every corner to see what you can find. Might turn into a long hike. <laughs> Explore that thick and chunky world. Yep. Yes. Well, <laughs> this brings us to. <laughs> I think this brings us uh, close to the end of uh, what we want to talk about tonight, and probably a lot farther on tangents than we maybe we intended to go. Uh, opening jokes aside, um, <laughs> but Blue Star, I- I'm going to call on you here at the end. Um, before we go tonight, are there any other indie games that are on your horizon that you're looking forward to this year or next that might rival what you've talked about? (laughs) That might rival what I talked about. Hmm. Or or just like, you know, this looks really awesome that's coming out, maybe. (laughs) I mean, I guess this, this is both on the horizon and not on the horizon, um, I know that a big update for Among Us is in the works, and that's not one that we talked about tonight as uh, one of our games, but, um, you know, Among Us has just sort of taken the gaming world by storm in the past Mm -hmm. couple of months uh, to the point where, you know, an Among Us 2 as a title was eventually scrapped in order to put all of the... Uh, the developers' resources into improving the first game as much as they possibly can. So I know uh, a new airship map is one of the things that they're currently working on, which I'm excited for. It's always a good time when you can murder and lie to your friends. (laughs) And on that note... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. Evan, was there anything else... uh... You want to talk about or anything on your horizon? You know, uh, Hades has been out for a while, but they just announced a physical version for Switch. That's what I was holding out for, so I'm looking forward to that. The physical version on Switch of Hades. Uh, That is one I've suggested to Yangus. We maybe try to run together um, in one of our contests, but man, I I, I look at it, and it's graphically not the style I'm super comfortable with, but I just don't like isometric, but I mean... There's so many. I don't think you can. Awards that I don't won. think you can race that game. Well, you no, not race, like but a couple hours. I'm pretty sure. Well, you can, but you know, we will have to. We'd have to. I set think it the idea is you're supposed to like play it constantly, multiple times. Yeah, okay. it's more so we just with our races, just you know, if there's a certain goal we could get to, then you know, we would probably call it good for that one. I, I mean, it's not like <laughs> our races have actually amounted to very much. So, <laughs> <laughs> I use the term race very loosely. Yeah, there's a there's a very loose definition for the racist platy, and I do so. <laughs> it, it, the 2020 version, Yangus beat it in a year. Me, I didn't. Very long year. <laughs> very. You know, this is this is like the snail and the slug. You know, we're no, we're no tortoise and a hare. <laughs> so, Yangus, anything you're uh, looking forward to? Um, you know, I can't really think of anything in particular like on the horizon like i want to check out the hades physical version when that comes out eventually but um like for newer stuff i guess the only thing that i can really think of is um, that dlc that i was talking about for cuphead uh it's it's called the last course and they're going to add in a new playable character it's actually the the chalice ghost 
that gives you the power-ups from the mausoleums. And from what little footage they've shown, it looks like it's going to be like a full brand new island for the game. And there's going to be new bosses and everything. But, you know, as of now, they've been pretty quiet about it. But, you know, because of COVID, I, I completely understand why, you know, things might have gotten slowed down. So, I, I guess for anything I'm looking forward to, I'm hoping we get to hear something about that this year. All right, Rian, we'll uh, I'll wrap it up after you. Uh, I know I've talked about the game previously when we were talking about I think games we were looking forward to in 2021. Mm-hmm. This one still has a kind of tentative 2021 release date, but it doesn't actually have a any given release date other than hey, maybe maybe this year. And that was the Endless Dungeon game that I mm. talked about previously. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a spiritual successor slash reboot of Dungeon of the Endless, which was a tower defense roguelike game. But this one is more of a... What we know of it so far is it kind of takes a lot of um, elements from that game. Of You can have a squad up to four people. And instead of it being a uh, top-down, pixel graphic um, roguelike, this one is a 3D, fully realized world. Um, And you can play it with up to four people total, so you and three friends can go through and do stuff. They haven't released too much information on it. There's supposedly... 12 playable characters three of which they've only shown off so far so there's still really not much known about it outside of literally that but um from the from the trailer they've shown and what i've played of the previous game i'm I'm looking forward to see what they do with it because i like their whole endless universe that they've got going on with across a whole bunch of games so that's what i'm looking forward to most all right yangus you had another thought yeah, I happened to think of one while Brewing was talking about his. Um, so this is actually a game that, it's not a new one, but it's one that I have not played, but I have watched a playthrough of it recently. Uh, it's a game called Witch Hunt, and it's on Steam, I believe. Uh, it was made by a single guy who I... I forget his last name, unfortunately, but it, it's a, more of a Russian-sounding name. Uh, anyway, it's a game that takes place in like um, 13 colonies, like early American sort of civilization, like Salem Witch Trial, think, think of that sort of setting. Um takes place in that sort of time period for early American history. And it's about a guy who comes to a town and he finds out about this beast that's attacking. And eventually it leads up to, you know, encountering this mysterious witch who's been sort of cursing the land around this village by bringing the undead to life and things like that. Um, From my understanding, it's a free to play game or, or maybe it originally was, but the guy has put in a ton of updates for it. It's a game that's all about kind of going out and hunting down your targets because they'll be moving around while you're moving around in this uh, big environment. But watching the game in action, it's a first-person shooter, which admittedly I'm not a big fan of first-person shooters, but I like the approach of it because from watching it, it kind of reminded me of Bloodborne, which is a game I've talked about on a previous episode and how much I love that. And uh, seeing the game in action and kind of like what you're supposed to do and hunting down these creatures and sort of track them down and things, it's an interesting concept, I think, in like... um, Atmospheric-wise, it's really good. Like, there were a few times where I'm watching the guys uh, playing it, and normally I'm not one who, you know, gets kind of jumped when I'm watching people 
uh, play a scary game or when I'm watching a scary movie. But there were times where, like, the atmosphere was like, oh, this is actually really creepy. Like, it's very well done uh, for, you know, this guy probably not having much of a budget and maybe just using some uh, store assets from, um, you know, 3D models and things like that. But um, I think that would be a game that, even though I'm not really a PC gamer, that I would love to check out around um, the fall time this year, uh, particularly, like, around Halloween for something kind of spooky and new to play. Because I kind of like to either watch something spooky that's new or read something or play something that uh, maybe that I haven't played. Not necessarily if it's always, like, scary or, like, really horror-themed, because, like, last year I played Luigi's Mansion 3. But uh, from having watched... uh, this uh, witch hunt game being played. It looks like it'd be a really fun experience and something that'd be really cool to play, you know, with headphones in the dark or something like that. Play nice. Corpse Party. <laughs> I, you, you That's a fun I, game to I, play I in the dark with headphones on. There's not going to be anything to beat that um, body getting thrown at the wall and turned into a pile of mush. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you gave me the highlight of the game already. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So uh, I'll wrap it up here with my last one, and it kind of goes along with my uh, Stardew Valley one. Uh, Gosh, I can't tell you how long ago, maybe about six months ago, I saw a Twitter post um, about one or was targeted for one called Sunhaven. And Sunhaven looks like uh, Stardew Valley with magical people. Like uh, they've got lizard ladies and they've got guys walking around with uh, big old antlers, like a huge buck or something like that and i mean it's a farming sim you know talk to the people uh it's a what is it they call the fantasy farming sim rpg um magic monsters dragons and um apparently they're gonna have some online stuff kind of like stardew valley um eventually got and i think the one thing that did it is it looked like the very simple combat again but i saw some guy like swing a sword back up shoot an arrow and then just like blast four people with magic. And it's a little 2D sprite based game um, that also I saw lighting effects. And I was like, oh, my gosh, just, you know, make one little really, really bright lit pixel and make it fly around. And that just I, I like get all giddy for lighting effects in games when it's not just the same thing all the time. You know, put a little lamp glowing in the corner and I'm like, ooh, that looks neat. Put a ripple on the water where the water, the light reflects and that looks cool so i've been playing around with uh looking at that and their indiegogo and their kickstarter pages both say that they're planning to get to switch um that's their second goal after releasing on steam they're uh trying to get there at the end of may so kind of hoping they get to um switch by the end of this year so we'll see if not, you know, I've still got my backup. What I talked to on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, what I'm looking forward to in 2021. Um, still hoping that Sports Story is not dead, but one day coming out. So love my little 2D pixel games from the indie studios. They're a blast from what I've played, and hopefully some others will be. But that's it for this episode of Slime Time SideQuest. I want to thank uh, Blue Star, Evan, and Burian for joining us to talk about all our indie experiences. Thank you, three. Anytime. Yeah, it was lots of fun. It's Brandon. Brandon. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> E-Squad <laughs> Part 2. BT2. Brandon Bevan. Back Come in on, action. <laughs> Go BB. I mean, you know, Electric Boogaloo would work very good for the B-Squad, too. <laughs> Being that B right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so you might have noticed that the only time we ever mention the word Patreon is when we say we don't use Patreon. We're all just uh, longtime video game fans that want to speak about the topics and the games we know and love so much. But if you have any money you'd like to donate, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudis.com slash den. Click on support this site. Uh, because Wudis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den site for over 20 years. He'd appreciate any donation. You can use his Amazon affiliate links to make any purchases there. Um, what are any of those new Dragon Quest XI-S games, the books? Um, when Brandon was on earlier last year to talk about <laughs> Dragon Quest uh, Monsters Plus, I, I mean, pretty much anything that's on Amazon that has any relationship to uh, Dragon Quest. Uh, Wudis has got it there. Small fraction of your, the sale will go to support him. And uh, we, we love that he supports this podcast. Whether we're talking about Dragon Quest or whether we're talking about Stardew Valley or all the other games we talked about tonight. And, you know, somebody's going to explode soon because we're almost done talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have any suggestions for a future side quest episode um, discussion point, uh, please let Platty or I know. You can contact Platty via his Twitter, PlattyM3, or you can contact him through the Dragon's Den uh, Discord that we have. But you can also contact me, uh, Yangus Legendary Bandit, either via personal message on the Dragon's Den itself or via the Discord as well. Uh, Platty and I both have a list of ideas and topics we want to talk about in the future. And, you know, we'd love to hear from folks if they'd want to either have us revisit a topic or, you know, if you have something new that maybe you popped into your head that we that you heard us talk about, you're like, oh, I'd like to hear more about that. You know, we have a big list, and we'll be happy to add to it. And just recently, we got a suggestion from uh, good old BB himself to do a Christmas in July episode. So look forward to that this year. <laughs> that will be coming out later this year. Yes. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, Christmas tree. Good oh, BB. Christmas tree. <laughs> Starring the musical talents of Brian. <laughs> I, but, I don't know about that. <laughs> now he's like, we, I don't know. <laughs> we use talent like quite uh, loosely here. It's like a Nintendo Direct. The Christmas in July will be coming later this year. Please look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or better yet, like, hey, we're going to talk about all this stuff coming out in the first half of this year. But look for this game in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> few times but um yeah we got to get back to our big list of games i feel like we just keep every week we're like ah let's do this let's do that uh we haven't looked at our list in a while and uh picked something off of it so not that any of you out there know that but such is life all right everyone bye everyone see you later side quest complete hmm?